Joe Biden goes on an incoherent anti-gun rant. The media fulminate over the supposed rise of Christian nationalism. And Jim Acosta of CNN says the NRA has blood on their hands. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. You may have noticed that the economy is really sort of on razor's edge right here. Fear of -of out-of-control inflation is hammering the stock market right now. The S&P 500 is currently having its worst start to the year since World War II. Your savings are worth less, and now you have less of those savings. So here's the thing. If you'd listened to me years ago and diversified at least a little bit into precious metals, you'd be sitting pretty right now. You should still think about doing just that. Now might be a good time for you to diversify into gold, the most stable asset in literally world history. Birch Gold is the company I trust to help you convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold and silver. That's right. Not only will Birch Gold help you fortify your savings with precious metals, they'll help you do it in a tax-sheltered account. Text Ben to 989898 to get started today. Amazon stock is down 37% in the first half of the year. Tesla's down 40%. The cryptos are getting smacked around. Many are fearing that the hawkish moves by the Fed could stall the economy out and the stock market could take even bigger dump over the course of the next few years. So what exactly is your plan? Text Ben to 989898. Get your free no-obligation information kit on gold from Birch Gold. They are the precious metals professionals. I trust them enough to buy from them. Text Ben to 989898. Secure your savings today. I want to talk about the gun perspectives of the left in just one second and Joe Biden's peculiar comments on guns because the man knows less about guns than he knows about pretty much anything else. And yet, like all men who are too confident about their own abilities, he seems to believe that he knows a lot about the things he knows nothing about. He's like the confidence guy on the, on the, he's the 12th man on the basketball team who just, for unjustified confidence, he just is going to go in there, he's going to chuck up threes. And it doesn't matter that he hasn't made a three in about two years. He's just going to go in there chucking because he thinks he knows things. We'll get to that in a second. But I think in order to understand Joe Biden and the left on guns and what they think they are doing, I think that really you have to understand that we have now reached a point in American life where a large segment of the country believes that people who disagree with them are the actual enemy and a severe threat to their neighbors. It's really a problem. It's, it's really troubling. And it is clearer than ever that this is, in fact, the perspective, certainly of the mainstream media and, of course, many of their devotees, as well as their allies in government and politics. The reason that I say this is because there's an article that had wide traffic over the weekend, and it was from the Associated Press, and it was titled Christian Nationalism on the Rise in Some GOP Campaigns. And this has been sort of the new watchword. You've seen a lot of these watchwords that have been spouted by the left to conflate it with mainstream conservative white supremacy is supposedly mainstream conservatism. Christian nationalism is supposedly mainstream conservatism. And what is happening here is an enormous number of people in the media are being deliberately sloppy about their terminology. And they're being deliberately sloppy about that terminology because the idea is if I can paint my political opponents with the ugliest possible brush, if I can use large scale terms that don't really apply to them, and I can apply them to them, then I can make them seem as though they are derelict, as though they are bad people, as though they are just somehow morally negligible in in some way. And that is the pattern here. And once you realize that a lot of Americans see their fellow Americans, their neighbors as threats to them, like real true threats to who they are, then you understand that all policy making is directed at changing the system to protect them from you. That's what this is all about. And I think in order to even understand that, you have to understand that there is a significant difference in how Americans today even think of themselves in terms of their core identities. So there's a great book that I've referred to often by Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. I think it's the best book of the last 10 years. And in it, he basically argues that there is an old-fashioned view of what makes you you. 
of how you construct your identity. The way that people typically used to construct their identity is you were born. You're born into a system of embedded customs and laws. You're born into a community. It preexisted you. It'll go on after you. And you were born as a biological being with certain limitations and certain potentials in this community. And then it was the job of your parents and society to civilize you. And this is the way that I would say traditionally religious people raise their kids. The way that you raise your kids is to abide by certain rules and to occupy and inherit certain roles. And this is going to make you, not for everybody, but for the vast majority of people, a happier and better and more well-rounded and fulfilled human being. You're civilized because when you have kids, kids are, they're little barbarians. I mean, I've talked about this many times on the show. I have three kids, eight, six, two, and they're wonderful and they're innocent and they're also barbarians because kids are by nature barbarians and they have to be civilized and they have to be taught things. That is one perspective on how you create an identity. Your identity is not just how you feel on the inside and it's not just you as widget of society. It's the in-between, right? It is how you as an individual interact with society and that interaction is what creates you as a human being. And so we have all sorts of civilizing institutions that are meant to help mold you to the society and help society help you fit in. And we have all sorts of rules and roles and responsibilities that are put upon you and that make you feel fulfilled when you actually do those things. Hey, that is the traditional way that people have identified throughout history. And then over the course of the last 50 years in particular, beginning a couple of hundred years ago, there's a new idea of what identity means. And this identity is constructed entirely by you. It is based on your subjective feeling about yourself. There's a free-floating you, and it is, it is your inner feeling, your sense of yourself. And that sense of yourself is the only thing that matters. It's your, authentic, your authenticity, your authentic sense of you. And your authentic sense of you cannot be bound by rules and roles and institutions. In fact, any sort of foreign imposition on the true you is really a denial of what you are. And therefore, the more institutions we overthrow, the more rules and roles we blow up, the better, particularly traditional rules and roles, right? New rules and roles that we kind of construct whole cloth that's a different thing because you're part of that construction. But if you inherited rules and rules, we have to assume that those are shaping you in nefarious and evil ways. And so the best way for you to be truly free, for you to be truly authentic, is to get rid of those rules and rules. And so we have now an entire society or a large segment of American society that is directly oriented against the traditional institutions, rules, and roles that characterize healthy living and healthy maturation in a, in a growing and healthy society. We have an entire group of people in the United States who truly believe that you are a threat to them and all of your traditional institutions are a threat to how they feel on the inside. And therefore, they're going to tar you with slurs like you're a white supremacist or you are a Christian nationalist if you just don't believe the things that they believe. Because you are morally bad. You are a threat to them. And this is why you hear people on the left constantly talking about microaggressions and you're a threat to me and your words are threatening me. How can my words threaten you? Well, only if your subjective sense of self is you, right? Because then if I refuse to accept your subjective sense of self as an objectively verifiable metric in the real world, this means that I'm attacking you in some way. What this means is that a huge segment of society particularly is oriented against traditional religion and against traditional religious values. And so what the, what the left has basically decided to do is characterize what used to be known as just mainstream politics in the United States, namely a, a broadly Christian people because this America is traditionally a very religious country. By European standards, much more religious than the Europeans. We, it used to be that America was a place that had very few enforceable legal rules, but lots of enforceable social, social mores. That, that you had a community and you were embedded in that community and your church basically is what civilized you to live inside society. Your community did this and you didn't need that many laws, particularly at the national level in order to enforce that because there was a lot of broad-based commonality. And then when you had people come along and said, you know what, all of those 
All of those institutions, the family, the church, the community, all these are, in, they are impositions on who you are. They have to be blown up. They have, in order for us to be truly free, we have to blow these things up and we can reconstruct ourselves ground up, free floating. This means that what used to be sort of traditionally accepted is now considered Christian nationalism. This is what strikes me about this associated press piece. I know we're going a little deep here, but it's really important because to understand what's happening above the waterline in American politics, you have to understand what's happening at the bottom of the iceberg. And so according to the Associated Press, here's how this manifests. The Associated Press, which is a left-wing press outlet, here's what they write. The Victory Party took on the feel of an evangelical worship service after Doug Mastriano won Pennsylvania's Republican gubernatorial primary this month. As a Christian singer led the crowd in song, some raised their arms toward the heavens in praise. Mastriano opened his remarks by evoking scripture. God uses the foolish to confound the wise. He claimed Pennsylvania's freedom would be snatched away if his Democratic opponent wins in November and cast the election in starkly religious terms with another, with another biblical reference, let's choose this day to serve the Lord. Now, as a religious person who is not a Christian, right? I'm an Orthodox Jew. The idea that you would, at a campaign stop, say something like, I feel like it's my job to serve God. That is what every religious person I've ever met says about pretty much every day. That is your core identity. Your core identity as a religious person is a person who believes that they have a relationship with God that is bounded by certain rules and moralities and ethics. So saying that at a campaign stop does not make you a quote-unquote Christian nationalist. Typically, when people say Christian nationalist, what they mean is no one who is not a Christian should be allowed to worship here, and everyone who is not a Christian should be a second-class citizen. That would be like a, a pretty good definition of a Christian nationalist. But that's not what is happening in these campaigns. Instead, the idea from the left is, if you believe in traditional Judeo-Christian values, and if you believe that some of those values should inform our legislative process, because you have to pick some system of ethics to inform our legislative process, and you can pretend that you have created out of whole cloth a secularist system of ethics. That is not true. You're living off the fumes of Judeo-Christian ethics from 300 years ago. Anybody who pretends otherwise is lying to themselves. But the idea is that if you even mention your religion in the context of public life, this makes you a threat. Now, that is a wild difference from where America used to be 50, 60, 70 years ago. Mentioning the importance of religion in everyday life and the idea of a, of a sort of Christian unified ideal undergirding American morality that was a commonality from left to right. FDR used to cite this sort of stuff in his speeches. I mean, you want to talk, like, if you took an FDR speech, it completely politically opposed everything that I believe on economics, and you listen to him talk about religion, he sounds a lot like this rally by Doug Mastriano. But according to the Associated Press, if you say this sort of thing now, this makes you a Christian nationalist and therefore evil. Mastriano, a state senator and retired army colonel, has not only made faith central to his personal story, but has woven conservative Christian beliefs and symbols into his campaign becoming the most prominent example this election cycle of what some observers call a surge of Christian nationalism among Republican candidates. And this is the way that the media launder their own views into these pieces. They have a theory. Their theory is that everyone who opposes them politically is actually a secret theocrat. And now we're going to go find a couple of experts to back up what we say. So did they take a poll of the experts? No. Did they take a poll of the American people? No. What they did is they found a couple of people to back up what the authors of this piece want. Mastriano, who has ignored repeated requests for comment from the Associated Press, has rejected the Christian nationalist label in the past. In fact, few if any prominent candidates use the label. Some say it's a pejorative and insist everyone has a right to draw on their faith and values to try to influence public policy. Well, yeah, that's because it is a pejorative and everyone does have the right to draw on their faith and values to try to influence public policy. But scholars generally define Christian nationalism as going beyond policy debates and championing a fusion of American and Christian values, symbols, and identity. So the Associated Press is completely insane. You know what else is insane? Walking around without the home and auto insurance that you actually need. Because if you don't have that home and auto insurance, 
Well, you're sort of begging fate to crush you. Right now would be a great time to reshop your home and auto insurance with Policy Genius because that could lead to savings that can you can put toward your next home renovation or DIY project. Plus, you actually need to protect your life insurance as well. So you can do all your insurance over at Policy Genius. Policy Genius is your one-stop shop to find and buy the insurance you need. Just head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro Home to get started. Policy Genius will show you price estimates for policies that fit your search. If you like what they find, they'll get you switched over for free. Customers who bundled their home and auto policies with Policy Genius saved an average of $1,250 per year over what they were paying. The team at Policy Genius, they're on hand at every step to help you make decisions with confidence. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. Policy Genius does not add on extra fees. They're not going to sell your information to third parties. They've earned thousands of five star reviews across Google and Trustpilot. So don't be crazy. Go find the lowest rate for your home and auto insurance today over at Policy Genius. Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro Home. Get your free home insurance quotes. See how much you could save. And now listen to how the AP describes Christian nationalism. And what you'll see is they are taking basic ideas about America and they are just saying it's Christian nationalism. Christian nationalism, they say, is often accompanied by a belief that God has destined America, like the biblical Israel, for a special role in history and that it will receive divine blessing or judgment depending on its obedience. That's just called basic biblical belief, period. That doesn't mean that non-Christians can't live here, right? That would make me rather unhappy that being a non-Christian and all. They, they, like, I'm not Christian and I believe that. Like, I'm I'm bemused by the Associated Press's description here. And so if you believe that God has a specific destiny for America, for a special role in history, this means now that you are a Christian nationalist? I mean, wasn't that the basic, take God out of the equation. Isn't that the basic idea of American exceptionalism, that America is an exceptional country with an exceptional destiny? Doesn't Joe Biden say that, for God's sake? He just removes the God from the sentence and sometimes he even puts the God in the sentence? That it will receive divine blessing or judgment depending on its obedience. Again, a basic tenet of every faith, which is that there is a relationship between what you do in life and the reward or punishment you receive either now or hereafter. Okay, and then here, and the AP continues. That often overlaps with the conservative Christian political agenda, including opposition to abortion, same-sex marriage, and transgender rights. So now they are saying that if you are a person who opposes abortion or same-sex marriage or transgender rights, this means not that you have some sort of logical or values basis for it, it's because you're a Christian nationalist. They're just creating a slur out of whole cloth and then applying it to people. In other words, if you're in favor of traditional institutions, because that's what you're talking about here, pro-life beliefs, which are generally backed by community, traditional marriage, generally performed by church, right? This is a church service. Transgender, the, the, the basic notion that men and women exist, which is not even religious in nature. And there are plenty of a-religious people and anti-religious people who believe that men and women exist. Sorry to break it to the Associated Press. But the idea is if you believe any of these and that America has a special destiny, you're a Christian nationalist now. Quote, researchers say Christian nationalism is often associated with mistrust of immigrants and Muslims. Okay, so what? Like what? First of all, there are a lot of churches in this country that are extraordinarily pro-immigrant. A lot of synagogues too. Second, the, the, the idea that there is mistrust of immigrants and Muslims among Christians, there's a lot of mistrust of Christians among Muslims. I mean, I'm, I'm just confused as to why this is solely applicable to Christian nationalists. This is too broad. Many Christian nationalists see former President Donald Trump as a champion. So if you vote for Trump, look, I mean, look what they're doing here. Here are the things that describe Christian nationalists. Believe America is special. Oppose same-sex marriage, abortion, and, and transgender nonsense. Are critical of immigration. Are critical of radical Islam. And voted for Trump. You're now describing at least half of America and maybe more. 
But what they're saying is that all of that is Christian nationalism. Now, they go on in the article, like buried all the way down in the article is the reality, which is that they, they actually found, there's a piece of research done by a couple of special professors, very, very special people, finding about one in five Americans align with quote-unquote Christian nationalist views. Okay, and believing, for example, that the United States should advance biblical values and allow school prayer and religious displays in public places. Again, the fact that that is now considered a Christian nationalist view, that we should allow school prayer and religious displays in public places, not a Christian, I believe all those things. Right, like that's, that is not a Christian. That was the view of the entire United States up till about 1960. But in order to, the reason that this is so, the reason this is so important is because of the conclusion here. Robert Jones, CEO of the Public Religion Research Institute, said January 6th displays were not surprising. According to a recent survey by the Institute, white evangelical Christians were among the strongest supporters of the assertion that God intended America as a promised land for European Christians. Those who backed that idea were far more likely to agree that true American patriots may have to resort to violence to save our country. To my mind, white Christian nationalism is really the threat, said Jones. Hey, you are the threat. You're the threat. Right? And if you and if you don't believe in the values of the left, then you are a bigot and a Christian nationalist. And you are and, and that's why Joe Biden, many people on the left, they look across the country and what they see when it comes to things like the gun debate to take this to policy or the abortion debate to take it to policy or the same sex marriage debate is the imposition of rules, restrictions and traditional institutions on your sense of leftist identity, of subjective self-identity. And so you must be stopped. When they see you walk it, when they see you, you, you take it to gun control, because this is now the, the topic of the day. When you, normal person, see your neighbor with a gun, you know your neighbor, you know your neighbor's not a criminal. Your first reaction, is it, man, that's scary? Or is it, okay, all right. You don't see your neighbor as a threat. It doesn't matter if your neighbor voted Democrat. As long as your neighbor's not a criminal, you don't care. In fact, you probably feel safer because if your neighbor has a gun, it probably means that his house is less likely to be robbed. And if somebody robs your house, you might be more likely to help stop it. But if you're on the left and you see a bunch of rural Texas people with guns, the first thing you think is not, hey, are those law-abiding citizens? The first thing you think is, those people are a threat to me and now those people have guns. And so the best possible solution is we should disarm everybody. Right? Disarm everybody who could potentially be a threat to me. Because the true threat, is all the people who disagree with me and threaten my, sec my, my sense of self-identity, which in today's day and age largely means sexual self-identity. Okay, that, that is dangerous stuff for a country. No country can really survive that long-term. If a huge percentage of the population think that the people on the other side are their enemies to the extent that it doesn't matter whether they are law-abiding, they're still a threat to you, then I don't know how you share a country. I really don't. It, may, it becomes extraordinarily difficult to share a country with people who believe that you are such an enemy that no matter how many laws you abide by, you are inherently a threat if you own a firearm and maybe even if you don't own a firearm. And this underscores the broad scale kind of trust that Democrats have in government when it comes to gun control and why they don't seem to care whether the gun control measures that they are proposing will have their entire their, their intended effect. Because maybe that's not the intended effect. You know, if, if you have a round peg in a square hole and somebody keeps taking the, the round peg and trying to drive it into the square hole. At a certain point, you have to figure maybe their goal isn't to actually drive the round peg into the square hole. Maybe there's an ancillary goal here. And it seems like the ancillary goal is not to stop school shootings and not to stop massacres, any of that. Maybe that's a beneficial side effect from their point of view. But the real goal is disarm the American population because the American population just has too many people who are a threat to me and people who might be white Christian nationalists or, or might be secret crypto white supremacists or whatever.
Because those people are bad. And I know they're bad because they threaten my sense of identity. Because again, the reason is when, when you look at it, it's, I think this is why so many people on the right are having a very difficult time understanding what exactly the left is doing in gun control debates. Because you look at what they are doing and you're like, this is totally disconnected from the reality. To take an example, there's new information on this Uvalde shooter. And so this, this Uvalde shooter has now, there's video that has now been found showing the shooter grinning while he holds up a bag of blood-soaked dead cats. According to foxnews.com, the deranged 18-year-old gunman is seen smiling in the undated footage while sitting in the passenger seat of a pal's car, holding up a clear plastic bag with at least two bloodied cats visible inside it. So the sicko was previously rumored to have had a fascination with dead cats. He had threatened to kidnap, kill, and rape girls who shunned him online. A person who was related to the shooter's grandmother by marriage said, quote, the shooter was known for hurting cats. He liked hurting animals. I'm told he killed the cats and carried around the bag of bodies for bleeps and giggles. Well, okay, so I have a question. If you wanted to shut down school shootings, might it be easier to identify the people who have red flags? Like, I don't know, putting online threats to kill and rape women and also carrying around bags of dead cats. Well, all of this is enough to make anybody lose sleep. I mean, it's a rough political time out there. A lot of bad things in the news. I still need my sleep. And this is why I really treasure my Helix sleep mattress. I've had my Helix sleep mattress for like four years at this point, And I love it. It's just, it's great because it was made just for me. And that means that it is still made just for me. It lasts. It's great. Go check out Helix today. Helix sleep has a quiz. It takes two minutes to complete. They match your body type and sleep preference to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everybody's unique. Helix knows that. They have several different mattress models to choose from. They've got soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattress is great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattress is great for spinal alignment to prevent those morning aches and pains. They've even got that Helix Plus Size mattress for plus size sleepers. I took that Helix quiz. I was matched to a firm model that is quite breathable. I tend to heat up at night. Helix keeps me cool. If you are looking for a mattress, you take the quiz. You order the mattress that you're matched to. The mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to the mattress store again. Just head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Take that two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. Ten-year warranty. You can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix has financing options, flexible payment plans. A great night's sleep is never far away. There's a reason I got a Helix Sleep mattress for my parents, for Two of my sisters have got Helix Sleep mattresses. For a limited time, Helix is now offering up to 350 bucks off all mattress orders, plus two free pillows for our listeners, which is a hell of a deal. This is their best offer yet. Hurry over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Again, that's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Which, which seems more targeted to the solution at hand? Trying to figure out who is posting videos of holding around, holding bags of bloody dead cats or disarming 100 million Americans of 400 million guns. Which seems more doable to you? Which seems more calibrated toward actually solving the problem that you purport to solve? And this becomes particularly true when you look at how the Uvalde Police Department responded. The procedures of the Uvalde Police Department were complete disaster area. I mean, the director of Texas, Texas Public Safety literally said over the weekend, his name is Stephen McCraw, that they made the wrong decision not to go into the school right away. So maybe that would be the solution is to go into the school right away. Hey, from the, for the benefit of hindsight, where I'm sitting now, of course, it was not the right decision. It was a wrong decision, period. There's no no excuse for that. But again, I wasn't there, but I'm just telling you, from what we know, we believe there should have been an entry at that as soon as you can. Okay, so let's talk for a second about the fact that there are some solutions that are available here and the, and the fact that no one wants to talk about them. So the minute that anybody talks about heightening school security, making sure there are actual armed guards on the ground, making sure that the police actually respond with alacrity rather than standing outside some sort of cordon 
a mile away and preventing parents from getting to their kids. Maybe you lock the back doors of school. Instead of talking about actual things that you could do, actually enforcing red flag laws. We had a red flag law in Buffalo. It didn't stop the shooter because no one enforced the red flag law. Instead of actually having thriving societal institutions that are capable of spotting dangerous kids and then reporting them to the authorities and changing our involuntary commitment laws when you have dangerous sociopaths like this particular shooter, you can put them away rather than leaving them on the street in order to murder small school children. Rather than doing any of that, we're talking about mass disarmament of the public. And make no mistake, that is what the left really wants here. Okay, when the left discusses common sense gun reform, they don't mean any of that. We all understand that's an incremental approach to what they really want to do, because if they actually want to stop the shootings, there's really only one solution from their perspective, and that is get rid of the guns for everybody. Over the weekend, according to the Washington Post, there were 12 mass shootings. And now, it's, it's none of those got remote, they, they never get remotely the kind of attention that the mass shooting in Buffalo got because that was racially motivated, or the mass shooting in Uvalde got. But they are significantly more common. The kind of mass shootings you saw over the weekend killed many, many more people on a statistical level than the kinds of mass shootings that make all the press. And the reason for that, largely, is because if you are going to drive a gun control agenda, it's very difficult to drive a widespread gun control agenda when it appears that you're targeting minorities and the vast disproportionate number of shootings in the United States are committed by minorities against other minorities. So that makes it kind of awkward when you start talking about vast gun control policies. That's why the left doesn't want to talk about it that way, because it cuts directly against their larger, broader argument, which is that the true threat in America is, quote unquote, white Christian nationalism. And the Washington Post reports that there were at least 15 mass shootings that have taken place across the United States since Tuesday, from California to Arizona to Tennessee. This Memorial Day weekend alone, spanning Saturday, Sunday and the federal holiday on Monday, there have been 12 mass shootings. Those mass shootings just mean essentially four or more people shot or killed, not including the shooter. Several of those shootings occurred at parties, one at a Memorial Day event. At least 11 people have been killed and 67 injured in mass shootings since the Uvalde shooting last Tuesday. There were six teenagers, for example, who were injured by gunfire in Chattanooga, Tennessee. That was probably a gang fight. It was, it was a bunch of young teenagers, like 13 to 15 years old, who were shooting at each other. There were, there were shootings in Oklahoma. There's a Memorial Day festival in Taft, Oklahoma, where there was a shooting. There was a party in Merced, California, in which there was a shooting. There was a shooting at a liquor store in Benton Harbor, Michigan, right? These sorts of things are extremely common across the United States. They don't make the press the same way that the mass shootings do because they don't fulfill narratives in exactly the same way. But all these shootings are kind of different in kind from one another, and they don't call for mass gun confiscation. And if you are calling for mass gun confiscation, you have to wonder what exactly is the, is the real rationale. And the real rationale is you don't trust your neighbor. You think your neighbor's scary and bad. That's the real rationale. So Joe Biden, on this basis, decided that he was going to go off on this. So Joe Biden, of course, decamped to Uvalde. He didn't decamp to any of these other shootings, by the way. Right? He, he decamps to very specific shootings where he thinks he can make political hay. So he decamps to the site of the Buffalo shooting so he can talk about the grave threat to America of white Christian nationalist, white supremacy, et cetera, et cetera. And then you have Joe Biden decamping to Uvalde because this is a, a the most heartbreaking mass shooting that we've seen in the United States since at least Parkland. And so this is a perfect opportunity for him to discuss his, his gun control routine. The problem for Joe Biden is that he doesn't know bleep about these issues. But maybe that's not the problem. Maybe that's just part of the, part of the upside of the guy, I guess. He, he started off by visiting Uvalde and people were yelling at him to do something. And of course, he then climbed up on a vehicle, which was very difficult for him. Dangerous stuff here. So surprise, Secret Service let him do it and started, uh, and started shouting that he would do something. <laughs> People are yelling at him. Jill is over there. Jill is walking around the car. 
And Joe kind of slowly, he never looks great, uh, walks to the car and he like pulls himself up onto the car and says, we will, we will do something. Okay, what exactly will he do? He will spout ignorant nonsense about guns and then not do anything because this is a, a he thinks, a potent electoral issue for him. So Joe Biden admits, first of all, that he can't outlaw weapons, but he'd like to. I mean, that's that's really the underlying idea here. I can do the things I've done and any executive action I can take, I'll continue to take. But I can't outlaw a weapon. I can't, you know, change the background check. I can't do that. And, you know, my whole career I've been doing it. He's a, first of all, if his whole career he's been doing this and he's accomplished nothing, at some point you might think that he might be bad at his job. That wasn't the part where he really starts his rant. So his real rant is that he starts off by talking about how the Second Amendment is not absolute. And then he starts just dropping bizarrely non-factual cliches about guns. Like he has about three or four things that he likes to say about guns where he's got the deer and Kevlar vest routine, which is just stupid. And then he's got the, this is the one he's going to drop right now. He's got the during the Revolutionary War, he couldn't own a cannon, which is actually not true. So he's going to drop that one here. The Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. You couldn't buy a cannon when the Second Amendment was back. You couldn't go out and purchase a lot of weapons. And those who, not many are saying it anymore, but there was a while there where people were saying that, you know, the tree of liberty is water with the blood of patriots, and what we have to do is have to be able to take on the government when they're wrong. Well, to do that, you need an F-15, you know? You need a Abrams tank, I mean. And then, he, and then he's, <laughs> again, th- th- then, he, then he's dropping his cliches again, that basically the Second Amendment is completely useless because the original purpose of the Second Amendment, which was to allow for a well-regulated militia to fight off predations on individual liberty in the states, that that is completely specious now because you need an F-16, which is not making the case that people should not own F-16s. That's making the case, ironically, that people should own F-16s. It also happens not to be true. Okay, The fact is that major armies across, I mean, the United States military was just cast out of Afghanistan by a bunch of goat herders with AK-47s. So I'm, I'm going to go no on that. But put that aside, all of this you know, stupidly informed rhetoric, it's, it's typical Biden. That wasn't even the dumbest thing he said. So in the, in the world of dumb cliches, he then dropped just a, a jaw dropper here. A 22 caliber bullet will lodge in the lung, and we can probably get it out, maybe able to get it, and save the life. A 9 millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high caliber weapons is of so apparently he's now making the argument in favor of an AR-15, none of which, as far as I'm aware, fire a nine millimeter. They fire either two, two, three or five, five, six, both of which are smaller caliber than a nine millimeter. Now, the reason that they're highly lethal in close quarters, particularly, is because they have higher muzzle velocity. But he's not talking about muzzle velocity at any point here because he doesn't know anything about guns. He's just talking about the size of the ammo. A nine millimeter does not blow a lung out of the body. The hell is it's got more stopping power than a twenty-two for sure. Is that what? Like what? There's not a gun expert in America who thinks that a nine millimeter blows a lung out of the body. This is not to deny that a nine millimeter is dangerous. All all weaponry is dangerous, but that's just not true. Not only is it not true. He also happens to be talking right when he says that's a high caliber weapon. No, it's not. A nine millimeter is literally the lowest caliber weapon that law enforcement uses. Like if you go to if you go over to your local PD, the lowest that is 
a nine millimeter handgun is what a typical cop has on their hip. That is the lowest caliber weapon that they are using. And there's a reason Dirty Harry didn't use a nine millimeter. He's a 45, right? He's a Colt Magnum, 45. What is he talking about? But he's kind of letting the cat out of the bag in sort of a backdoor fashion. If you outlaw nine millimeter, that is the most common form of ammunition in the United States, particularly for handguns. So he's actually talking about just outlawing all guns. That's really what he's talking about there. He's not talking about rifles anymore. He's not talking about quote unquote assault weapons. He's not talking about common sense gun regulations. He says there's no rational reason to own nine millimeter ammo. Uh, yeah, there is because it fits inside a nine millimeter weapon. That is the reason to own a nine what? <laughs> so he, but but that, he's saying the quiet part out loud. Part of it is that he's just ignorant and he's a moron. I mean, J- Joe Biden, when it comes to guns, he's ignorant about so many things. When it comes to guns, he is just legitimately ignorant. And the people who make your policy and write about your policy in the media, they've never fired a weapon. They don't know what a weapon is. When they describe weapons, it's as though they are describing some sort of alien technology that has descended from Mars. It's amazing to watch them describe weaponry that they. When, when they say things like an AR-15 style weapon, or when they use the word semi, when they use the, the term semi-automatic to say that that means automatic, but just semi, like that's, you don't, what? Here's typical Biden. I mean, listen, Biden, this is the same moron who suggested at one point that you should fire a shotgun through a door if there's an intruder. So yeah, I, I'm going to listen to him on gun safety. If you want to protect yourself, get a double barrel shotgun. Said, Jill, if there's ever a problem, just walk out on the balcony here or walk out, put that double barrel shotgun and fire two blasts outside the house. And this is a few years ago. This is when he was suggesting the best way to to make an intruder go away is to go out on your balcony like the uh, like you're in Back to the Future and somebody has run over your Twin Pines farm and. Marty McFly is driving away in the DeLorean. You just fire shotgun blasts in the air. This idiot. And he also suggested at one point shooting a shotgun through a door like like Oscar Pistorius, which ended real poorly for both Oscar Pistorius and his girlfriend. Like what in the world? But it's it's these morons who are making our laws. It's these idiots who are making our laws. And maybe that's, the, the, the point is, they don't have to know because they know that guns are bad. And what they particularly know is that your gun is bad. So this is, the, again, I come back to this fact. I know that my neighbors have guns. I don't, not only do I not care, I am glad that my neighbors have guns. Because God forbid something bad is going to happen, I want my neighbors there with the gun. Because I like my neighbors, and I know my neighbors, and I think that my neighbors have good values. And I don't know how they vote, but I know them. I see them around. I know that they are law-abiding. They're not criminals. I don't hate my neighbors. But if you hate your neighbor, you want everybody to disarm because everybody is scary to you. Everybody is a threat to you because your subjective sense of self-identity, we know that ideologically they're a threat to you because they may threaten your subjective sense of self-identity. I mean, they're part of institutions that threaten you. So after all, why not disarm them in the name of a big, broad, overarching, big government that is going to guarantee you your personal subjective sense of self-identity and also prevent your evil, terrible neighbors from encroaching on you, not by violating the law, but simply by existing. Well, Joe Biden's lack of knowledge about anything relevant is enough to make you feel insecure. But let me give you something that will make you feel more secure. I'm talking, of course, about Ring because this summer is going to be busy. You're going to be away from home. I know I'm going to be away from home. I rely on Ring Alarm. So you're thinking to yourself, wait a second. 
Doesn't Ring make that video doorbell thing? Yes, but it's not just the video doorbell. They also have a giant alarm system. It's an award-winning home security system with available professional monitoring when you subscribe. Best of all, you can easily install it yourself. Like, I'm not a pro, and I could do it myself. Ring didn't stop there. They've changed the home security game with Ring Alarm Pro. I've decided to team up with Ring. When it comes to protecting my home, I've already gone pro with Ring Alarm Pro. There's a reason that CNET calls Ring Alarm Pro a giant leap for home security. Ring combined a home security system and a Wi-Fi router, so this thing helps protect your home and secure your network. This summer, whether I'm across the country or across town, I know everything at home is protected and connected and that it will stay that way. With a Ring Protect Pro subscription, which is an amazing deal, by the way, I get professional monitoring for the ultimate peace of mind. If anything happens, professional monitoring will call me and can request emergency services. We're talking about a worry free vacation right here. You might not have known it, but it is true. Ring has that award-winning alarm. This busy summer season to protect my home, I've gone pro with Ring Alarm Pro. You should do the same. To learn more, head on over to ring.com forward slash Ben. That is ring.com forward slash Ben. Once more, ring.com forward slash Ben. All right, folks, sometimes it strikes me that we may have reached peak insanity. Up is down, two plus two equals five. And there are 1,297 genders. But just as I'm about to get disheartened by all of it, I remember that June 1st, tomorrow, is the premiere of Matt Walsh's new documentary, What is a Woman? It's fan-frickin-tastic. It is so good. Tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern, on Backstage, Matt will help us make sense of all of it. If you're not a Daily Wire member yet, head on over to whatisawoman.com. Subscribe today because you're not going to want to miss this phenomenal night. I will be there. So will the awful Michael Moles, Andrew Clavin, the man himself, Matt Walsh, and God King Jeremy Boring. It's fair to say you've never seen a Backstage quite like this. So, the documentary itself, What is a Woman? I can't wait to show it to you. You need to be a member to see it because it's unbelievable. I think it's the best piece of content maybe we've ever made. Matt spent a ton of time asking the same question to a lot of people. A question that my two-year-old literally can answer. She literally knows the answer to this question. And yet apparently, that was not the case with some of the adults in the room. Check out the trailer. What is a woman? Can you tell me that? <laughs> well, you're at the Women's March. You must have some idea. I'm a husband. I'm a father of four, I host a talk show, I give speeches, I write books. I like to make sense of things. A woman is not anything in particular. There is not one particular thing. It could be many things to many people. Some women have penises, right? Some men have vaginas. And so they go on the internet and they're told that all their problems will be solved if they become a man. There are masculine girls, there are feminine boys. What are we gonna do about that? Carve them up? I care about the truth. I care about children. I care about the women who are having their opportunities stolen from them. Based on what I'm saying, would you ever want to move to America? <laughs> they say no, never. It's a very easy question that suddenly has become wildly and challengingly difficult. It's imperative, not only that we continue to ask the question, but demand an answer. Why? Because this fight is for truth, like basic bottom line truth itself. So head on over to whatisawoman.com. Become a member today. Tune in for the world premiere of What is a Woman on Backstage tomorrow, June 1st at 8 p.m. Eastern. Again, please subscribe. Your subscribership really matters to us. Becoming a member matters to us. It helps us bring you the world's best content. This You're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's so good. Matt does an unbelievable job in this, and it is a devastating rebuttal to everything the left says, all their lies about sex and gender, go check it out. Whatisawoman.com. Become a member today and then tune in for the world premiere tomorrow, June 1st, 8 p.m. Eastern. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So the Biden administration, again, they keep pushing forward gun control measures that are not designed to actually stop the problem. 
It's just an incremental approach to a bigger to a bigger solution, right? Their bigger solution is they want gun confiscation. They want the guns to go away. And they aren't willing to say that out loud because they understand that's politically unpalatable. They understand that 100 million Americans probably own guns at this point. And so they are not going to just say the quiet part out loud. They're just going to lie. And they're going to lie routinely. So you got Kamala Harris, who's out there pushing an assault weapons ban as though this is going to stop things. So which is it? I mean, Joe Biden is out there pushing a ban on nine millimeter, which is a handgun. She's out there pushing a quote unquote assault weapons ban with her. Oh, man, this this the mug on this one, the, the insincerity in the mug on this one is just. Ugh, ugh, she's the worst. Here's the vice president of the United States, who is, in fact, the dictionary definition of the worst. We know what works on this. It includes. No, you don't let's have an assault weapons ban. You know what an assault weapon is? You know how an assault weapon was designed? It was designed for a specific purpose, to kill a lot of human beings quickly. An assault weapon is a weapon of war. Shit, no, that's not the definition of an assault weapon. There is no definition of an assault weapon. An assault weapon is just a typical rifle that has like a different grip or that has a sight on it or that has a stock that is different. It has like, it looks scary because it's black as opposed to in particular colors. They have no definition of this. By the way, the notion that the assault weapons ban was effective in stopping school shootings, Columbine happened during the assault weapons ban. There is no statistical evidence demonstrating that levels of gun violence in the United States were markedly lower during the so-called assault weapons ban, particularly because the vast majority of murders committed with guns in this country are not committed with rifles. They're committed with handguns. They know all of this. So this is why it's like you're screaming at them until you're blue in the face. But it's just, it's amazing stuff. And then you have the credulous. Okay, the credulous are people like Adam Kinzinger, right? Adam Kinzinger, who is a Republican congressperson, but who has fallen in line with a lot of Democratic viewpoints over the last couple of years, really since Trump. Right? He has decided that he, he is in favor of raising the age to purchase guns to 21, that this is a no-brainer. Now, is this actually the policy that the left wants to pursue? No, of course not. It's an incremental policy. And my view on this is that I am perfectly fine with raising the age of purchase of a weapon to 21 years old, so long as we are also going to raise the age of the draft and raise the age of voting to 21. You can't have people be half adults. If you're old enough to vote and you're old enough to be drafted and fight for your country and carry a gun in combat, you're old enough to make a decision about whether or not you should own a gun. If we're going to treat 18 as adulthood, then 18 is adulthood. If we're going to treat 21 as adulthood, then 21 is adulthood. But Adam Kinzinger is going to go right along with this because, again, it's the talking point of the day. I think that raising the age of gun purchase to 21 is a no-brainer. If you look at uh, the Parkland shooting, you look at Buffalo, you look at this shooting, these are people under the age of 21. We know that the, the human brain develops and matures a lot between the age of 18 and 21. We just raised, without really so much as a blink, the age of purchasing cigarettes federally to 21. Uh, I think we need to get there eventually. Okay, well, I mean, if you want to do that, again, you want to do it with voting. I'm, by the way, if you want to, like, actually raise the age of adulthood to what it really is in this country, which is now 26 to 28, I'm fine with that. Everybody's a child in this country until they're 26 to 28. The way that you can tell that, by the way, is when people start thinking that marriage and children are appropriate. This used to be the judgment as to how a society decided whether you were an adult. Is when you started dating for marriage, this is when a society decided you were an adult, which is why the average age of marriage back in the 1940s and 1950s was early 20s to late teens, and the average age is now 80 if at all, because we are perennial adolescents forever. So if you actually want to make this case, then make the case. Like, go ahead and make it. I want to hear Adam Kinzinger make the case for why everybody ought to vote at 18, but they can't buy a gun or a cigarette until 21. Explain. And and, and further explain why, if you're going to make a distinction full scale between voting and being drafted and all the rest, why we shouldn't draft you and vote yet at 14. Like, really, if it's all about the brain maturation, explain the massive difference 
in brain maturation that occurs between 14 and 18, the same way you just did between 18 and 21. Like, what, why is it that you should be able to decide the fate of the country and fight for the country on a battlefield somewhere, not of your own free will, but because you are legally compelled to do so at 18, but you shouldn't be able to walk into a gun store with a background check and buy a gun? By the way, this, this kid passed a background check, which demonstrates the, the complete failure of, the, of pretty much every system. So it's, you know, again, none of this is directed toward the real end. The real end that they want is, of course, a gun ban. It is what they want, right? And, and sometimes they'll just say it. Cory Booker, he, say, he basically says, that this isn't going to stop until we get rid of all the guns. And you have to, the way that you demonstrate you love your children is by getting rid of all the guns. Really? Because the way that I demonstrate that I love my kids is by defending them from people who would come to harm them. And one of the things that I need in order to do that is, in fact, a firearm. Until the redemptive power of the love for all of our children is greater than the destructive power of the love of our guns and money and power, until that redemptive love of our children turns into action, then nothing is going to change. Hey, you are, you're a bad person. Right? This comes right back to what we were discussing. You're a bad person. And Cory Booker thinks that you are a threat. You're, you're a threat to your own kids. You're a threat to other people's kids. And it's not really because of your gun ownership. It's because of the way that you think. It's because you voted the way that he didn't like. It's because you have certain viewpoints about controversial social issues. And those are impositions. And the, the, the gun debate is just that tip of that iceberg. Now, I will give some points today to Charles Blow of the New York Times. I know words that have never exited my mouth here on the Ben Shapiro show because I think Charles Blow is maybe the worst columnist in America. But points for honesty. He has a piece in the New York Times today titled The Hard Truth. Gun safety must be everything that Republicans fear. Quote, I find that the gun safety debate lacks candor. People believe it is easier to tell only part of the truth, to soft pedal the cell in an effort to get something, anything done. But lying will always lead to a trap. Let me explain the truth that no one wants to tell. The one that opponents of gun safety laws understand and the reason so many of them resist new laws is that no one law or single package of laws will be enough to solve America's gun violence problem. The solution will have to be a nonstop parade of laws with new ones passed as they are deemed necessary ad infinitum. In the same way that Republicans have been promoting gun proliferation and loosening gun laws for decades, gun safety advocates will have to do the opposite also for decades. Individual laws like federal universal background checks and bans on assault rifles and high-capacity magazines will most likely make a dent, but they cannot end gun violence. Invariably, more mass shootings will occur that none of those laws would have prevented. Opponents of gun safety will inevitably use those shootings to argue the liberal efforts to prevent gun violence were ineffective. You can hear it now. They told us all we needed to do was pass these laws and the massacres would stop. They haven't. That said, I understand the by-any-means approach that gun safety advocates are taking. But I choose to view this issue soberly with clear eyes, understanding the hurdle to get anything done, but not lying to myself. I understand that Republicans are the opposition, that they have come to accept staggering levels of death as the price they must pay to advance their political agenda on everything from COVID to guns. Again, remember, it's all tied into broader worldview. It is never just about the issue at hand. It's never about just solving a problem. It's tied into their perception of you. You are bad. You believe in death must be stopped. Your gun must be removed from you. You are bad. You are scary. You believe the wrong things about same-sex marriage and gender. Therefore, you must be responsible for mass death from COVID. It's all part and parcel of a broader attempt to label your political opponents evil. But, says Charles Blogan, and here's where he gets points for, for honesty, he says, I'm on the same page as my political opponents on one point. They see the passage of gun safety laws as a slippery slope that could lead to more sweeping laws, and even one day, national gun registries, insurance requirements, and bans. I see the same and I actively hope for it. Why can't everybody just be up front? We have too many guns. We need to begin to get some out of circulation. That may include gun buybacks, but it must include no longer selling weapons of war to civilians. So 
We have to stop all the lies. We have to stop the lie that fewer gun restrictions make us safer. And we have to stop the lie that gun safety can be accomplished by one law or a few of them rather than an evolving slate of them. So again, points for honesty. And points for honesty also in the broader perception, the broader line that it's all tied into a broader ideology, right? Again, th this is never just about solving the problem. This is how you can tell the people who actually want to solve problems from the people who don't. People who want to solve problems get together in a room and they are very clear about the data that they present and how they believe those data will lead to a reduction in particular types of violence. That's just a data question. That's a hash it out in the back room question. That is not the debate that we are having about guns. The debate we're having about guns is whether you are a bad person. That is the debate. Okay, the best example of that today is an article from a person named Neil Meyer in today's Washington Post. Okay, so Neil Meyer is a retired lawyer. Okay, no one's ever heard of him. No one knows who he is. His claim to fame, according to the Washington Post, is that he, he now lives in Bethesda, but he was born in Uvalde. So apparently the sole qualification for writing a piece for the Washington Post now is that you were born in a town 50, 60 years ago where a mass shooting took place last week. That is the requirement, which probably fits, I would imagine, thousands and thousands of people. But this guy also happens to have the right perspective. What is his perspective? His perspective is that the carnage that we saw in Uvalde is the predictable outcome of the evil politics of the people who are the quote-unquote white superstructure, the what the AP might call the Christian nationalists at the heart of Uvalde, Texas. Now, Uvalde County in Texas voted 60-40 for Trump. So the, the baseline notion that, basically, that there's like a cadre of secret evil people at the top or evil Republicans who, who love guns and everybody else there is like rah, rah for Bernie is just, I, I'm, I'm failing to see the, the actual on the ground voting evidence of this, but here's what this person writes. And this is why I say it's all tied into a broader perception of who your fellow Americans are. If you tend to be somebody who trusts your fellow Americans, particularly the people who live around you, you want, not only do you, are you in favor of there being gun laws that allow people to buy guns, you act, I want my neighbors to have guns. Again, they help protect me and my kids. But this guy says I, he doesn't trust the people from Uvalde because they're bad. Quote, I was born in Uvalde, Texas, lived there recently and love its complex history and people. Like most, I've been struggling under the weight of grief to understand the violence that left 19 children, two teachers and a young killer dead last week. But I am not surprised. First, you would be challenged to find a more heavily armed place in the United States than Uvalde. It's a town where the love of guns overwhelms any notion of common sense regulations and the minority, white, ruling class. Again, it's capital W, so the, the H comes before the, the W. The minority, white, ruling class, places its right-wing Republican ideology above the safety of its most vulnerable citizens. It's impoverished and its children, most of whom are Hispanic. Now, at this point, you might want to break and say, wait, wasn't the shooter Hispanic? Yes, the shooter was Hispanic. And most, and all the victims, as far as I'm aware, were, were Hispanic. What does that have to do with the white, the white superstructure? Apparently everything. Second, at the news of the shooting, I was struck to hear the words Rob Elementary because I knew of its centrality to the struggle in Uvalde over the past half century to desegregate its schools. Rob sits in the city's southwest quadrant, so I knew the victims of the shooting would largely be Hispanic. They've been locked into that school for decades. Okay, first of all, you're making a solid case there for a school choice that you, I'm sure, do not want to make. But again, it's tied into the broader idea that the people who are to blame for this violence are my political opponents who must be, now we know, white elitists who apparently are in favor of segregation. That's who's to blame here. It's somehow a white supremacist crime. In Uvalde, simply put, everything north of Highway 90 is primarily white Republican. Everything south is mostly Hispanic Democrat. The city has about 15,000 residents. More than 80% identify as Hispanic or Latino. Okay, then you are going to, again, have to explain why Uvalde County went 
60-40 for Trump. Most of all, Valdi's political leadership and the heads of the largest employers are white. At the center of the town on courthouse grounds, you'll find a monument to Jefferson Davis, the Confederate president, installed when the KKK dominated Uvalde politics. Some of us tried to get the monument removed after the murder of George Floyd, but that's a story for another day. When I heard reports about the shooter, a young Latino, I winced at the reflexive disclaimer he wasn't an illegal immigrant. Um, I mean, reflexive? Like, I'm, I'm glad that people said he wasn't. I mean, like, it would be important to know the specific circumstances surrounding the shooter, right? It, wa I w it wasn't surprising to learn, says this columnist, that he was bullied for a speech impediment, may have come from a broken family struggling with drug use and had experienced problems in school. Drug use plagues the city. The courts struggle under the weight of young people's encounters with the legal system. One in three Uvalde children live in poverty. The killer allegedly bought his guns at Oasis Outback, a popular lunch spot for wealthier Uvaldians known for its large buffet, hunting supplies, and gun shop. On most days, you'll also see groups of Border Patrol agents and local law enforcement there. It's a monthly meeting place for groups such as the Uvalde County Republican Women, who's, I mean, I've never heard of a scarier group than the Uvalde County Republican Women. And it sounds just terrifying. Whose Facebook page includes posts decrying the border invasion. The Oasis reflects the establishment's deep cultural reverence for guns, hunting, and the Wild West mythology. I wasn't surprised an 18-year-old could walk in and easily buy tactical weapons without anyone being concerned. I wasn't surprised to see, the, by, by the way, they did a background check. There was a federal background check on him and he passed. That is a failure of the people closely located to him, not the people who happen to frequent the Outback, Oasis Outback. You eat lunch at the Oasis Outback and the schmuck is blaming you for a mass shooting. This kid is walking around with bags full of dead cats and nobody's like, hey, where were his parents? And this columnist continues, I wasn't surprised to see the Republican panel of politicians at a news conference the day after the shooting, almost all white. And in top positions of power in the community and the state taking the lead. In Uvalde, the custodians of order, the chief of police, the sheriff, the head of the school district police are Hispanic. But here they were largely silent. Unsurprisingly, they now bear the primary blame for the disastrous response of the school. Oh, so it's it's the white superstructure's fault that the Hispanic police chief and the school public safety officers did not go in to save the kids. Right? Again, this all comes down to you are bad. You're bad, you see. You're bad. Always. And we will spin in circles and we'll find some, some idiot who lived in Uvalde in 1977 in order to write about how he knows the specifics of, he knows, he knows. Finally, I wasn't surprised to see the victims being flown to San Antonio for treatment. The Uvalde hospital was converted in recent years to a critical access facility, limiting its number of beds. The hospital benefited financially, but many residents seeking healthcare must now travel to distant locations. President Biden and the first lady visited Uvalde on Sunday to offer comfort to the families of victims at Rob. But Uvalde and other towns like it need more than comfort. We need to ban assault weapons and limit young people's access to firearms. Let's also recognize Uvalde has a sufficiently large law enforcement presence. We won't succeed in creating hardened targets by arming teachers and other civilians. Finally, the social conditions that gave birth to this deadly violence and the killer's mental condition can be addressed through our support of community organizations, healthcare systems, and schools by supplying resources and legal avenues to identify and deal with emerging threats. You think those things didn't exist? They did. The deaths at Rob were, were predictable and avoidable. Uvalde, the state of Texas, and the United States of America failed the children and teachers who died there. Again, notice how he just conflated basically all the things he doesn't like about politics with the shooting. Therefore, you must be deprived of your gun. The therefore is always your rights have to be curtailed because maybe these people just don't like you. And this is the take of the media, broadly writ. This is why you have Jim Acosta, the sh I mean, Jim Acosta, the worst of the worst over on, on CNN. I mean, J that dude... Ladies, find you a man who loves you like Jim Acosta loves Jim Acosta. He was speaking to an NRA board member on CNN and literally blamed the NRA for this. 
I missed it. Was this shooter a member of the NRA? In fact, can you name a single mass shooting perpetrated by a member of the NRA? I cannot. I can name mass shootings that have been stopped by members of the NRA. There's an NRA instructor who a couple of years ago stopped a mass Texas shooting that was going on at a church. But apparently it's now this guy's fault. So Jim Acosta, it's not, it's not the fault of CNN, by the way, for plastering the picture of the mass shooter all over CNN, which social science does suggest leads to copycat rituals, which is the reason why we have, we have not mentioned the name of the shooter, nor will we. We've not shown a picture of the shooter, nor will we. And we don't at, the, at our website, Daily Wire. That's not true on CNN. But here is a Jim Acosta blaming the NRA for all of this. And again, he blamed the NRA for anything because they are the bad people. They're bad. For years, your group has blocked new gun safety laws and pushed for the most relaxed rules possible on firearms. Isn't some of this blood on the NRA's hands? The NRA and other organizations, even myself as a state senator in Kansas, have worked to tighten the laws. I think that it's important to understand that no, it's no, necessary no, sir. that these I, I, laws actually... I hope, I hope you understand. I'm, I'm going to have to cut you off uh, when you start saying things that, that just aren't true. The NRA has not worked to tighten rules. That, that's just not the case. Please, if you could answer the question that I asked you at the beginning of the interview. Isn't this blood on your hands? <sighs> if you, I mean, that, that is such an astonishing question. If you could please answer this interview. How often do you rape your wife? I mean, there's a premise that that's not a question. That's an accusation. Isn't there blood on your hands? How do you disprove that accusation, according to Jim Acosta? What could he say to the answer to answer that question that would that would alleviate that other than you must convert and agree with Jim Acosta on all available public issues? You must become one of us, one of us. One, that, that's what you have to do. Join the cult. And then magically, you will be alleviated of all responsibility. And you also won't mind anymore that they have deprived you of your right to defend yourself. This is the perspective. You're a bad person. You disagree with them. You are a bad, bad person. Brian Stelter on the same network doing the same thing, suggesting that the reason that children are now at risk from school shooters is because half of America is bad and evil. Can't we just try to have a civil conversation with our best minds talking across the divide? And the fact that we can't should depress us greatly. But some people I can guarantee you right now on social media, people are sniggering about this, you know, and saying, oh, what that's fools right. to think that you can, you know, that, that's America's, what's sad. That's what's wrong with us. Children are the victims of America's yes. cold civil war. Children are the victims of America's cold civil war. And the idea is if you, if you agreed with us, you would just do what we want. And the reason you don't is because you're bad. And we know you're bad because you voted for Trump. And because we, you voted for Trump, we also know that you probably believe in, you know, things like traditional marriage and maybe pro-life things. And because you believe in those things and maybe plus school prayer and that America is uh, chosen by God for a specific destiny, which is what every religious person believes about every single human being. That if you believe those things, you might be a Christian nationalist. So you see the chain here. So if you, if you wish not to be a Christian nationalist, if you wish not to be one of the bad people, all you have to do is end America's cold civil war through surrender. That's all you really have to do. And then we will all be happy. Because you won't have guns and you won't need guns because we'll all be part of the Borg mind. We'll all agree on all the things. And, and, and by the way, even if, the, even if at that point you do have guns, we won't mind quite as much because after all, you'll agree with us. And that's really the important thing. This is all part and parcel of a broader cultural battle that is going on right now in the country, not predominantly over the basis of issues like gun control, but over far deeper issues like what does it mean to live a fulfilling life? And how is that fulfilling life defined? And what sort of roles and institutions have to be either rebuilt or alternatively completely destroyed in order to achieve human happiness on the broadest scale possible? The left and right disagree pretty significantly on these issues. 
And uh, that is going to have some pretty significant ramifications for the future of this country. All right, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. Coming up soon is The Matt Wall Show. It airs 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to check it out over at dailywire.com. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Bradford Carrington, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Wydowski, associate producer Savannah Dominguez-Morris, editor Adam Saievitz, audio mixer Mike Coromina, hair and makeup artist and wardrobe Fabiola Cristina, production coordinator Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Today on The Matt Wall Show, one day out from the premiere of What is a Woman, we'll talk about a few stories that highlight why this film is necessary. Speaking of which, Leah Thomas was interviewed by Good Morning America, where he defended his decision to steal opportunities from female swimmers. But in an exclusive clip from What is a Woman, which we'll play today, a female swimmer on Thomas's team reveals to me what it was really like behind the scenes. Also, the uh, mask comes off as the left pushes for a ban on handguns. They just instated one in Canada, in fact. Meanwhile, new revelations about the Texas shooter show just how many red flags were ignored before he committed his massacres, how many different ways this could have been prevented without even talking about gun laws. We'll talk about all of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Hey, 